Are you in college? The Thomistic Institute Study Abroad Program is now accepting applications for the spring semester of 2024. This unique and exciting study abroad program offers you the opportunity to spend a semester in Rome at the Dominican Order's Pontifical University of St. Thomas Aquinas. You'll study the ancient and medieval intellectual tradition of Rome, live with like-minded young men and women steps from the Colosseum, and participate in weekly cultural and intellectual events, regular day trips, and multi-day excursions. To learn more about this life-changing opportunity, go to ThomisticInstitute.org slash Rome. That's ThomisticInstitute.org slash Rome. Welcome to the Thomistic Institute podcast. Our mission is to promote the Catholic intellectual tradition in the university, the church, and the wider public square. The lectures on this podcast are organized by university students at Thomistic Institute chapters around the world. To learn more and to attend these events, visit us at ThomisticInstitute.org. We'll begin with a reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. John. This is from John chapter 20. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the doors were locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit, whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, and whose sins you retain are retained. Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples said to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, and put my finger into the nail marks, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now, a week later, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, although the doors were locked, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, and see my hands, and bring your hand and put it into my side, and do not be unbelieving, but believe. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you come to believe because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you that you sent your own Son, born of the Virgin Mary, to suffer for us. For by his wounds we have been healed. We ask you now to pour forth his Holy Spirit upon us, that we may believe more and more that Jesus is risen from the dead, and that his wounds now are seen to be glorious. We make this prayer in Jesus' name, for he lives and reigns with you in unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Our Lady, the Mother of God, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This talk is titled, His Glorified Wounds. It follows upon Father Michael O'Connor's talks about, by his wounds we have been healed, and by our wounds we have been healed. And so now this is 
considering the glory that comes after our woundedness. And we have to see that there's this deep connection, that there is no glory without the cross, that we do not have that wonder of the resurrection uh, without Jesus being pierced for our sins. Okay, so this is where in terms of being able now to see that Jesus is risen from the dead. It's astounding. This is the original Christian proclamation that the disciples wanted to tell their fellow disciple Thomas the Apostle that they had seen the Lord, that he was risen from the dead. And Jesus wanted them to know that he is the same one, the same one who was crucified for our salvation. He has been raised from the dead for our justification. Right? We see this in different ways. St. Luke also gives witness to this. If you go to St. Luke's account of the gospel, in the last chapter, Luke 24, uh, while they were still speaking about this, he stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. But they were startled and terrified and thought that, that they were seeing a ghost. Then he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do, you question, why do questions arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, because a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you can see I have. And as he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Okay, so why his hands and his feet? Because he's the crucified one. The crucified one who shows his hands, his feet, his side, to be able to tell the disciples that he is risen from the dead and he is with them. All right, now this is where in terms of your imagination, because sometimes we have our imagination cultivated in bad ways, and by grace we can have a healing and to imagine in wonderfully good ways. Okay, so in terms of imagining for a bad way, uh, I don't know, uh, I don't like horror films. Uh, I don't know if you are a fan of horror films, but can you imagine in a horror film someone come back from the dead after being abandoned by his friends? and going into a locked room. Okay, so think of, <laughs> think of someone who has just been uh, killed in a gory fashion, come back from the dead to visit his friends who had abandoned him. What do you think that guy is going to say? Maybe something like, where were you? I'm going to get you. Okay. Uh, that's not what Jesus does. The revelation is that Jesus says again and again, peace be with you. And that's even more startling. It is so wondrous that the one who took upon himself our our punishment, the one who was sinned against, the, the one just man, come back from the dead, says, peace be with you. And the disciples then rejoice upon seeing the Lord. And Jesus comforts them by wanting to make sure that they realize he really is the same one. And the best way for him to do that is to show the marks of the nails, of the piercing. See, 
And then, of course, in John's account, we read about how Thomas wasn't there. And so one week later, okay, what we call Divine Mercy Sunday, okay, so one week after Easter Sunday, Thomas is there, Jesus comes again, and wants the doubting Thomas to have that doubt cast aside. Okay? And so he, he, he wants Thomas, he invites Thomas, in a sense, to probe his wounds. In this talk, we, in faith, are probing the wounds of the glorified Lord. We who have been wounded approach in faith Jesus, who suffered for our salvation and now is risen from the dead. And we do this with some help. Our help is the common doctor, St. Thomas Aquinas. And so I want us now to begin by working through one article of St. Thomas's Summa. The Summa is divided into three parts, and this particular article is in the third part, where St. Thomas gives these questions about Jesus Christ. In question 54, article 4, he asks whether Christ's body ought to have risen with its scars. Okay, so scars, wounds. And then to be able to see with St. Thomas how he knows there are objections. He always begins articles of the Summa with objections. And so you can think about your, uh, your objections or objections of friends or people that you imagine and then to consider with St. Thomas these objections first, before we get to his response. The first objection, it would seem that Christ's body ought not to have risen with its scars, for it's written in 1 Corinthians 15, the dead shall rise incorrupt. But scars and wounds imply corruption and defect. Therefore, it was not fitting for Christ, the author of the resurrection, to rise again with scars. Okay, so we know that, that the dead will rise. And those who are the just are going to rise incorruptible in just this glorious way. So, but scars and wounds imply defect. Another way of saying this, it's gross, isn't it? It's gross. You're going to be like that in the resurrection? No, 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 no. Objection two. Further, Christ's body rose entire, but open scars are opposed to bodily integrity since they interfere with the continuity of the tissue. St. Thomas is interested in this objection about just the integrity of the body. You, you need tissue connecting. Uh, it does not therefore seem fitting for the open wounds to remain in Christ's body, uh, although the traces of the wounds might remain, which would satisfy the beholder. Thus it was that Thomas believed to whom it was said, because you have seen me, Thomas, you have believed. So, okay, so we know that it happened, but really they should disappear. And it's just really not fitting uh, for this because, because there needs to be a wholeness there, a wholeness. For the third objection, St. Thomas quotes St. John Damascene from his exact exposition of the Orthodox faith, that some things are truly said of Christ after the resurrection, which he did not have from nature, but from special dispensations, such as the scars, in order to make sure that it was the body which had suffered that rose again. Now, when the cause ceases, St. Thomas says, the effect ceases. Therefore, it seems that when the disciples were assured of the resurrection, he bore the scars no longer. But it ill became the unchangeableness of his glory that he should assume anything which was not to remain in him forever. Consequently, it seems that he ought not at his resurrection to have resumed a body of scars. Okay, so this is where, in terms of, 
well, since uh, uh, since it would be odd to have this for a little bit after the resurrection, so he just shouldn't have it. And then the on the contrary is this authority that goes against these objections. And St. Thomas quotes John 20 from our Lord saying to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and bring your hand and put it into my side and do not be unbelieving, but believe. So this is where in terms of there's the authority, Jesus did it. Uh, so uh, should Christ's body have risen with his wounds? Well, he did it. He did it. So then there's the question, oh, since he did it, it's recorded in scripture, it's for our salvation, what do we make sense of it? Because we're meant to believe, to believe. And then St. Thomas says, it was fitting for Christ's soul at his resurrection to resume the body with its scars. In the first place, for Christ's own glory. For Christ's own glory. St. Thomas goes back to the Venerable Bede, who's commenting on Luke 24, that Jesus kept his scars not from inability to heal them, but to wear them as an everlasting trophy of his victory. So Jesus, after the resurrection, shows his disciples his marks of victory. The one who had been unjustly condemned now rises to show that he has conquered sin and death. He has conquered your sin and your death. He is wearing these scars that um, within his own person. Okay, His body is shining out these glorified wounds to show that he's the victorious one, the victorious Christ. Right? I was once talking about this while teaching in Nairobi, and... I remember I said something about how uh, in America, sometimes people use the phrase street cred. Okay, so that in terms of if you uh, are able to walk the walk and you suffer and you are identified then with other people precisely in terms of what has happened to you, you have a sort of street cred. And that, uh, that then uh, sometimes, you know, like people would have a mark. And before I knew it, one of the students raised his hand and in front of everybody said, I was in a fight and, uh, and people were beating me up and I still have the wound because I survived. And, and so, and then, and so he, he was saying that, that precisely in his own body, he shows that he survived the fight. He survived the fight. All right, so he, says, he considers the scar in his body a sort of trophy that he survived. Jesus, who died, now has an everlasting, glorious survival that he beat down sin and death. He conquered the devil. The devil is a loser, okay? The devil's a loser. And so Jesus wants uh, us to know that when we see his glorified wounds, he's won. He's won. Right now, St. Thomas is already anticipating the second talk uh, that I'll give with the second part of this for Christ and glory. So St. Thomas continues, hence Augustine says in On the City of God, book 12, book 22, perhaps in that kingdom we shall see on the bodies of the martyrs the traces of the wounds which they bore for Christ's name, because it will not be a deformity but a dignity in them 
and a certain kind of beauty will shine in them in the body, though not of the body. So we're going to be looking at this later today in terms of our glorified wounds, not just for the martyrs, but perhaps for every saint. Okay, and that would be about a, a beauty, a beauty mark. A beauty mark of where the cross had been in our life. Secondly, to confirm the hearts of the disciples as to the faith in his resurrection. And this is where, in terms of faith in the resurrection, the world does not naturally have this kind of faith. Faith is a gift from God. And to be able to see that St. Thomas, the apostle, at first did not have faith. He doubted. And Jesus then, through Thomas the apostle, is allowing many, many throughout the world to join in the apostolic faith that Jesus is risen from the dead. And that he wants then to confirm the hearts of the disciples. All right, so this is where in terms of, of being able to think that sometimes uh, it may not be what's called a technical doubt, but you have a difficulty. Something that is going on in your heart and you don't understand. Well, Jesus can come to us and let us know he really is living. The one who died for our salvation is risen from the dead. And that the glorious wounds help us to make an act of faith in him risen from the dead. Third, St. Thomas says that from the Venerable Bede, that when he pleads for us with the Father, he may always show the manner of death he endured for us. The letter to the Hebrews says that Jesus lives forever to make intercession for us. Jesus is the great high priest. And in heaven, at the Father's right hand, he's showing his Father his hands. Okay, So the sacrifice of the Mass makes present Christ, our great high priest, who is also the victim. The word priest is used in various religions. Uh, usually, it, a priest offers up some sort of sacrifice. In the Christian religion, the priest offers himself. So Jesus, our great high priest, is the victim. Not something external to him, but himself. And then this is how we, as Christians, can enter into his priestly sacrifice. All the faithful, by that baptismal dignity of being able to uh, be a priestly nation, offering up their lives in Christ, and that the ordained priesthood is particularly set apart to, for the sanctification of all the faithful, precisely so that we may be more and more in Christ, participating in his one sacrifice. Well, he is with his Father, making intercession for us, his priestly prayer. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And for all eternity, Jesus' body bears those glorious wounds. And he's showing his Father. He's showing his Father. Think about that. Fourth, that he may convince those redeemed in his blood how mercifully they have been helped 
as he exposes before them the traces of the same death. This is again from the Venerable Bede. That he may convince those redeemed in his blood how mercifully they have been helped. Think about how in the 20th century, St. Faustina received a special gift concerning divine mercy and that she wanted to be uh, this one who would lead the world closer to the mercy of Jesus Christ. Well, this is exactly what the Venerable Bede is saying, what St. Thomas Aquinas is picking up, that we then can have a better sense of the mercy that is there when we consider those glorified wounds. Lastly, St. Thomas says that in the judgment day, he may abrade them with their just condemnation. That's from the Venerable Bede. Hence, as St. Augustine says on the Creed, Christ knew why he kept the scars in his body. For as he showed them to Thomas, who would not believe except he handled and saw them, so will he show his wounds to his enemies, so that he who is the truth may convict them, saying, Behold, the man whom you crucified, see the wounds you inflicted, recognize the side you pierced, since it was open for you, since it was opened by you and for you, yet you would not enter. It was our sins that pierced him. And Jesus, on the last day, will also show those who refused to accept his wounds how now they are being judged. You can go to the very first chapter of the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 1, we read about how every eye will see him. Um, okay, so to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, who has made us into a kingdom, priests for his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming amid the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. All the peoples of the earth will lament him. Yes. Amen. Okay. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. Now, these reasons concerning the judgment day are especially captured in my favorite Advent hymn, Lo, He Comes. So it was originally written by John Sinek and significantly altered by Charles Wesley and Martin Maiden. Lo, He Comes with Clouds Descending. One verse says, Every eye shall now behold him, robed in dreadful majesty. Those who sat at naught and sold him, pierced and nailed him to the tree, deeply wailing, deeply wailing, deeply wailing, shall the true Messiah see. Now, th this is where, in terms of the reality of judgment, that Jesus Christ will judge. And you will see then, in terms of separating the sheep from the goats, those on his right and on his left. The hymn also gives us the perspective of all the saints that will be countless in number. The dear tokens of his passion, still his dazzling body bears, cause of endless exaltation to his ransomed worshipers. With what rapture, with what rapture, with what rapture, gaze we on those glorious scars. Imagine it. Imagine Judgment Day. Imagine Jesus judging. And that basically then you have the two reactions based upon his cross, his wounds, 
The people are separated in their reaction to the wounds. You know, right now, do you want to enter into the wounds or do you want to go away? He came for our salvation. Now, St. Thomas, at the end of every article of the Summa, then goes back to consider the objections and has replies to the objections. So the reply to the first objection, the scars that remain in Christ's body belong neither to corruption nor defect, but to the greater increase of glory, inasmuch as they are the trophies of his power, and a special comeliness will appear in the places scarred by the wounds. So in terms of a greater glory, uh, trophies of his power. Again, in terms of the reply to the second objection, although those openings of the wounds break the continuity of the tissue, still the greater beauty of glory compensates for all this, so that the body is not less entire, but more perfected. So rather than, oh, he doesn't quite have a full body. No, he's very bodily, very bodily. And that there's a greater beauty of glory coming forth from that body. We replied to the third objection, Christ willed the scars of his wounds to remain on his body, not only to confirm the faith of his disciples, but for other reasons also. From these, it seems that those scars will always remain on his body. Because as St. Augustine says, I believe our Lord's body to be in heaven, such as it was when he ascended into heaven. Okay, so forever and ever and ever, Jesus has glorified wounds. Now, from this, I want to think about lift high the cross, being not ashamed of the gospel now and forever. St. Paul says in Romans 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Have you ever been ashamed of the gospel? Or have you ever been tempted to be ashamed of the gospel? There are a lot of pressures in the world. Jesus knows this. In Luke 9, he says, Whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Jesus knows that in various ways, his disciples will be tempted to be ashamed of him. I am not ashamed of the gospel. And then to think about the power of this gospel, that this power is especially shining forth from glorified wounds. And then how it's precisely through the wounds that we come to glory. On the judgment day, in terms of separating the sheep and the goats, we can read in Matthew 25, 31 to 46, you did it to me. You did it to me. You know, I was hungry and you gave me food. You did it to me. I was hungry and you gave me no food. You did it to me. It's this Jesus who is present now. This is his gospel. This, this is the good news that the church proclaims. Are we ashamed of it? Or do we lift high the cross? Now, St. Martin of Tours was this uh, man. He had been in the military and as a catechumen, uh, then he, uh, he wanted to be completely dedicated to Christ. And so there's this famous scene of how he saw uh, a, a very poor man near the gates of the city of Amiens and how it was cold, very, very cold. And so St. Martin then tore half of his cloak and gave half the cloak to this beggar. And then there was this vision of Christ telling the angels, See, Martin has given this cloak to me because, it, because that beggar was Jesus. That's 
I think, the most famous story of St. Martin's life. I want you to know another story. This is from chapter 24. So his biographer, Sulpicius Severus, who knew him, says, I think this point should not be passed over with what arts the devil uh, tempted Martin. For on a certain day, prayer having been previously offered, and the fiend himself being surrounded by a purple light, in order that he might the more easily deceive people by the brilliance of his splendor assumed, clothed also in a royal robe, and with a crown of precious stones and gold encircling his head, his shoes too being inlaid with gold, while he presented a tranquil countenance and a generally rejoicing aspect, so that no such thought as that he was the devil might be entertained, he stood by the side of Martin as he was praying in his cell. The saint, being dazzled by his first appearance, both preserved a long and deep silence. This was first broken by the devil who said, Acknowledge, Martin, who it is that you behold. I am Christ, and just about to descend on earth, I wish first to manifest myself to you. Okay, so Martin has this apparition. I am Christ. When Martin kept silence on hearing those words and gave no answer whatever, the devil dared to repeat his audacious declaration. Martin, why do you hesitate to believe when you see I am Christ? <laughs> then Martin, the spirit revealing the truth to him, that he might understand it was the devil and not God, replied as follows. The Lord Jesus did not predict that he would come clothed in purple and with a glittering crown upon his head. I will not believe that Christ has come unless he appears without appearance and form in which he suffered, and openly displaying the marks of his wounds upon the cross. The devil could not come with wounds because the devil rejects the wounds of Christ. The devil wanted to look like Christ, but Martin knew that that could not be Christ because he didn't see the marks on which Jesus um, suffered for him. So, Sulpicia so Severus continues, On hearing these words, the devil vanished like smoke, and filled the cell with such a disgusting smell that he left unmistakable evidences of his real character. <laughs> this event, as I have just related, took place in the way which I have stated, and my information regarding it was derived from the lips of Martin himself. Therefore, let no one regard it as fabulous. <laughs> okay, in terms of a fable. All right, so, uh, so this is where, in terms of, oh, this is really significant because if you don't see the marks on the one that might be Jesus, that's no Jesus. Forever and ever. So, uh, like there's this hymn, um, this song by Gillian Welch and David Rawlings, uh, sung by Gillian Welch, uh, and she first performed it in 1996. Here are the lyrics When I cross over, I will shout and sing. I will know my Savior by the mark where the nails have been. Okay, in the refrain, by the mark where the nails have been, by the sign upon his precious skin, I will know my Savior when I come to him by the mark where the nails have been. A man of riches may claim a crown of jewels, but the king of heaven can be told from the prince of fools. By the mark where the nails have been, by the sign upon his precious skin, I will know my Savior when I come to him by the mark where the nails have been. On Calvary Mountain, where they made him suffer so, all my sin was paid for a long, long time ago. By the mark where the nails have been, by the sign upon his precious skin, I will know my Savior when I come to him, by the mark where the nails have been. So this is where, in terms of Christ is risen from the dead. And that's why we have the crucifix 
Okay, that's why we have the season of Lent. We're not in suspense. Ooh, okay, what, what might happen? No. No, Jesus has risen from the dead. Uh, this is, um, and we really want to be reminded of the reality of the price that he paid for our salvation. Uh, I want to tell you an unfortunate story. I was once in a, a Catholic chapel with a Protestant friend. And uh, in this chapel above the altar, there was a body, and it looked like Jesus, uh, risen from the dead. There was no cross. He was just uh, with his arms out, uh, and he, he, looked, uh, he looked good. In fact, he looked so good, there were no wounds, no marks. It was a depiction of the risen Jesus without marks. And my Protestant, and, and there was no cross. It was actually scary because I thought I thought of St. Martin of Tours. So, and and, uh, and I, I um, and I and my Protestant friend said, "Well, in my church we have a cross. If we just combine the two, we could have a crucifix." All right. So, so this is where, in terms of not being ashamed, that Jesus died for us. And he has risen from the dead. It's really the basic gospel, the good news. Uh, and so we are not ashamed of how he chose to save us. He chose to save us through weakness. And he merited his resurrection and our resurrection through the cross. So love conquers all. Uh, and that's why in terms of that hymn, Lift High the Cross, Lift High the Cross, the love of Christ proclaim, till all the world adore his sacred name. Okay, so this is where his wounds are glorious. Enter into them. So we have time for questions and answers. And then I, I have some questions here. Can you imagine seeing Christ in heaven? What does he look like? You are not in heaven now. You are on earth. By faith you can probe his glorified wounds in your own wounded heart and know that you can receive him in the Holy Eucharist. What does that mean for you? Okay, that's something for you to think and pray about during this time of retreat. Uh, what are your thoughts that you'd like to share? What questions do you have? Yes? So the question is, would Jesus, we know that he has the, the five wounds, does he have the other marks from his passion, such as the scourging? Now, I think there's a particular appropriateness for the, the wounds in terms of his hands and his feet and his side. And so this is what has been revealed to us. And this is where, if anybody's seen the Passion of the Christ, you have the sense of a gory mess. Okay, like it really, it, it's really, really awful. And, and so if he were to have every single wound, well, then that would actually take away from his glory, because it, it would be all. And so I think in terms of the revelation that there's an appropriateness concerning the hands, the feet, and the side for us to know that it is the same one, whereas it's not necessary to have every single mark because, frankly, uh, he suffered like nobody else. Yeah. So thanks for asking that question. So 
are we not judged until the last judgment, or is it like an immediate judgment after we die? Okay, so there's a question uh, are, in terms of the, the judgment. Is it a judgment at the end, in terms of the last judgment, or are we judged when we die? So there, there is judgment. And that within this judgment, there's a particular judgment at the moment of our death and a universal judgment at the end of time. One can only judge when everything is known and completed. Okay? This is where Jesus says, who are you to judge your neighbor? You don't know your neighbor. And, and so you know, it, that there's something about how, how you know, certain judgments have to be rendered, but in terms of that sin of being judgmental, this is actually a, a serious consideration. Because who are you to judge your neighbor? Only God knows everything, and it's good that he's also the most merciful one, <laughs> and that there's a completion. So this is where, in terms of during this life on earth, that this is the time of mercy. Now is the day of salvation. When we die, it's an instant. There's an instantaneous point where the soul separates from the body, and then there is what's called the particular judgment. You cannot um, merit more after that, nor can you sin more after that. Okay, now is the day of salvation. This is the time either to choose Christ uh, or, frankly, to reject him. That moment then is definitive, that particular judgment. The universal judgment takes that up and shows more in terms of the amplification of it. Okay, so let's say... Imagine a great pond, and you throw in a big rock. Well, you're going to have the ripple effects. So just as the, the rock goes in, and you, you have that action, it's in. But it takes a while for all the ripples to go. It's not until the end of time that your life will then be able to, see, to be seen for its effects. Not until the end of time. And you think... Oh, really? Yes. Because our lives are all um, uh, mixed together, in a sense. And it's only when the world will end that the whole world then, because it's the end of the world, will be able to see the full significance of one's life. For St. Thomas, he likes to use examples. And so he says that you don't know until the end of time the glory of the preaching of the apostles. St. Andrew is in heaven, but it's only at the end of time that will we, will we be able to appreciate St. Andrew for all that he is in terms of preaching as an apostle. Their voice has gone out to all the world, and at the end of time, we'll be able to see the, 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 the ripple effects of the preaching of the apostles. And then St. Thomas says, only at the end of time will we be able to see the destruction of the heresy of Arius. Okay, so Arius denied the Trinity as we profess it. So this is where that the end of time has a general judgment that does not reverse the particular judgments, but will show forth um, in uh, this uh, in this way what has happened during our life and then that definitive moment of death, and all the world will then be able to see. Yes, um, I was wondering if. We are all called to probe the wounds of Christ. How should we view Thomas's 
um, request his doubt. Yep. So the question is, if we're called to probe the wounds of Christ, how should we view Thomas's doubt? St. Gregory the Great, when reflecting on this, says that Thomas's doubt was used by the Lord for the faith of the world. That uh, God never does anything evil, but he permits certain evils, certain sins, certain defects to occur in order for something, something greater to happen. And Thomas's doubt then worked within God's plan to be able to let the, let the nations experience the true faith. And so this is where that we praise St. Thomas, the apostle. July 3rd is his feast day. And it's said that Thomas went even to India. And so that you have Thomas then being a great proclaimer of faith. And this is where in terms of, of um, thinking about our own lives, because sometimes we have self-inflicted wounds in terms of sin. And um, God, some, God sometimes permits us to sin. He doesn't make us sin. He sometimes permits us to sin. But we can, by God's grace, be lifted up out of any sin and be drawn closer to him. Okay? So this is where in terms of in, our, in, in probing the, the wounds of Christ in faith, that we thank God that, that Jesus acted mercifully to Thomas, healed his heart, and that that same grace can heal our hearts. Yes? Why do some people get stigmata? Okay, so the question is, why do some people get stigmata? So stigmata or stigmata uh, means marks. And the first instance of this that we know of after our Lord Jesus in terms of the Christian tradition would be St. Paul in the letter to the Galatians. So if you go to the end of the letter uh, of St. Paul to the Galatians, you'd be able to see that he bears the marks of Jesus on his body. So Mark, so Galatians chapter 6, uh, that uh, uh, beginning with, uh, we'll begin with verse 13. Uh, verse 14. But may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither does circumcision mean anything, nor does uncircumcision, but only a new creation. Peace and mercy be to all who follow this rule and to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one make troubles for me, for I bear the marks of Jesus on my body. Right, so uh, people debate about what this really means for Paul. But we do know that, particularly in terms of St. Francis of Assisi, that about two years before he died, he had a vision of Christ in the form of a seraph, and that he then uh, experienced uh, this, this wounding in a remarkable way. And then after Francis, there were very various stigmatists. Okay, so in the 20th century, the most famous one would be St. Padre Pio. Um, uh, many women mystics, in a special way, have borne the stigmata, and that it's uh, St. Catherine of Siena was said to have had the stigmata, and then she asked for the grace for it to disappear from, from, the, um, from vision, um, but for her to have the, the suffering and love. Okay, so then in terms of, of during her life, and then in terms of there are various reports about her death. Okay. So this is where that we are all called to pick up our cross and follow Jesus, every one of us. 
Uh, sometimes there are these mystical uh, experiences where there are particular types of conformity. Okay, so, so like St. Rita of Kasha uh, had an experience of a thorn in her head in terms of sharing something of, of the woundedness of Christ's crown of thorns. Um, and it's, it's just that um, you can think about uh, Colossians that St. Paul says, I fill up in my own body, um, in my own life, what is lacking in Christ's body, the church. So in terms of that suffering for Christ. So the stigmata would be a particular uh, form of this that would be on a mystical level. But I would want to emphasize how every Christian is to suffer with Christ because Christ suffered for us. And then that we can see the redemption precisely in this. And we'll be talking more about our own wounds and the glory of our wounds in the, in the next talk. Yes? Um, I, I believe I missed this point that you're trying to make about uh, Jesus being a great high priest and a victim. Yes. Okay, great. Yes. Okay, so this is where I talked about how various kinds of priests exist in religions. So if you go to Greek mythologies, uh, that you have different kinds of Greek priests that would have animals, okay? Or, frankly, in terms of the Old Covenant, you can think about how uh, uh, the priests of the Old Covenant would sacrifice certain things, such as animals. The letter to the Hebrews shows that in the New Covenant, Jesus came. Uh, so it's in the fulfillment of the psalm uh, about how, uh, how that he is coming in obedience and that he gives his life over in that obedience. So that it's not simply offering something up. Okay, so in terms of Hebrews chapter 10, for this... Okay, chapter 10, beginning with verse 3. But in those sacrifices, there's only a yearly remembrance of sins. For it is impossible that the blood of bulls and goats take away sins. The blood of bulls and goats. For this reason, when he came into the world, he said, quoting the psalm, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. Holocaust and sin offerings you took no delight in. Then I said, as is written of me in the scroll, Behold, I come to do your will, O God. So Hebrews chapter 10. So that this priest, our great high priest, offers himself. He's both priest and victim. Priest and victim. So in the Christian religion, it's not simply a, a matter of offering things up. Okay. Now, sure, we're, we're called in various ways to sacrifice things, but we don't have animal sacrifices. We don't. There is the one sacrifice, Christ, who is the priest and victim, he offers himself up in obedience. Philippians chapter 2, he was obedient until death, death on a cross. And all Christians, by our baptismal dignity, are called to be in him. He is meant to be in us. We are meant to be in him. And so this is where that his sacrifice then is, um, is, is occurring within our lives. So St. Paul says in the letter to the Romans, if you go to Romans chapter 12, at the beginning of that, I urge you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, your spiritual worship. So this is where, in terms of offer yourself, your body, and that's your spiritual worship. So this is where, in terms of that Jesus as priest is the victim, 
And you can think about the Roman canon, the first Eucharistic prayer, and that emphasis on offering that victim, the victim to the Father. Because Christ is both priest and victim, and all Christians, by baptismal dignity, are to be in him as priest and victim. And the ordained priesthood is especially set aside to, uh, for the sanctification of all the church, to act in persona Christi Capitus, in the person of Christ the head. Other questions? Yes. Is the sacred heart of Jesus one of his wounds? Okay. So the question is, is the sacred heart of Jesus one of his wounds? And this is where uh, he shows his his side. So, yes, that the side is to show in terms of the piercing of the heart. And you can go back to John. So in terms of John's witness of this, John chapter 20, beginning with verse 31. Now, since it was preparation day, in order that the bodies might not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath day of that week was a solemn one, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs be broken and they be taken down. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and then of the other one who was crucified with Jesus. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one soldier thrust his lance into his side, and immediately blood and water flowed out. An eyewitness has testified, and his testimony is true. He knows that he is speaking the truth so that you may also come to believe. Okay. So, uh, and it's fulfillment of the scripture, including they will look upon him whom they have pierced. So the sacred heart of Jesus, um, uh, Pius XII uh, says how this sacred heart of Jesus allows us to know the great depths of God's love for us. The great depths of God's love for us. So that the... Uh, and, and so it's just really beautiful to have devotion to the sacred heart, to be able to see the wound that is there. Okay, so his, his side. And then blood and water flowed out. Father Jonah. Thank okay. Thanks for listening to this lecture on the Thomistic Institute podcast. The generosity of people like you makes this podcast possible. If you enjoy these talks, please consider showing your support at www.tomisticinstitute.org donate. Your donation of even a dollar helps us reach more college students and many others with the powerful truths of the faith, and it ensures that we can keep publishing top-notch lectures on this podcast. Thanks a lot.